Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Lapse Factor Podcast. What is up, college lacrosse fans? You are watching the 139th episode of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast, and today is going to be one of my favorite episodes, hopefully this season. Well, hopefully not my favorite this season, but close, because we're going to get to talk about Syracuse putting the big hurt on Virginia in the Dome. We're then going to talk about Rutgers and Ohio State. We're going to talk about Air Force and Duke. We're going to talk about Hopkins, Michigan, High Point, Carolina, Robert Morris, Notre Dame, St. John's, Georgetown, Stony Brook, Hofstra, Utah, Loyola, St. Joe's, Army. We're going to talk about a boatload of games and more. Before I get into it, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. We are approaching 10,000 subscribers, so the easiest way you can help us Hit that subscribe button. It's that easy. And always like. Just like, 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 subscribe, all that crap. And then, as always, you can go to laxfactor.com. Get yourself some swag, hats, T-shirts, and other stuff. Today, though, I am rocking my good luck Cuse hoodie. I realized against Army, I didn't wear this hoodie that I've literally owned for pushing 25 years now or so. And that's probably why we got smoked by Army. I pulled the hoodie out last night. Rocket for the game against UVA, and we have a great outcome. So good that I decided to wear it again this morning for this morning's episode. So let's not jack around anymore. Let's just get right into it here, and we're going to talk about this game. I figured to win this game, Syracuse needed to play a near-perfect game. Syracuse ended up playing a just-about-perfect game all the way through en route to putting the big hurt on Virginia in the Carrier Dome. Now, we talked about it in the during the week, and we also talked about it a little bit more in the pregame live stream at 10 a.m. on Saturday. Every week we do a, a pregame live stream at 10 a.m. on Saturday mornings on YouTube, so you can tune into that. Keys for the win, attack had to play much better, and they had to do everything in their power to keep up with the UVA attack. Now, going into this, I did not think that the Syracuse attack would hang with UVA's attack, but I thought they could at least do their best to to put points up and, and keep help the offense keep in line a little bit with UVA. Did they do it? Check. Hiltz got the start over Cook. That wasn't surprising. Rafis was as aggressive as I've seen him play since he was a sophomore, pretty much, he was dodging all over the field. And the result was the Syracuse attackman. Rafis goes three and three. Hiltz three and two in his first start as a freshman. Scanlon one and one, but he had three cause turnovers and four ground balls in this win. The UVA attack, three goals out of Laviano, one assist out of Matt Moore. He was held scoreless in the game. And then Peyton Cormier, it's hard to tell who's playing attack for UVA, but I think it was Cormier, two goals and a helper. The Cuse attack outperformed Virginia's attack. One of the best, Virginia has one of the best groups of attackmen in the country. Cuse outperformed them on this day. Another big key, the defense. They had to play better overall, better off ball. Porter needed to have a big game, and the result was Porter, 13 saves, 10 goals, Brett Kennedy, one goal, three ground balls, one cost turnover. He got moved back to LSM 
where he was an immediate factor and a disruptor. Mitch Wyckoff comes out and he guards Matt Moore, holds Matt Moore scoreless during the course of the game. Two cause turnovers, two GBs. Jacob Fopp from the faceoff X won 22 of 33. We did not let Petey LaSala score. I had talked about how that was going to be one of the keys. We had to keep Petey LaSala off the scoreboard and win the bulk of the draws. They did that. Virginia defense had a rough outing overall against the Cuse. Alex Road played admirably in cage despite getting very little help from his defense 18 saves versus 20 goals against and like I said overall defense for Virginia did not have a good day 11 of Cuse's 20 goals were assisted meaning that nine of them were off dodges it was just all around they played poorly off ball they played poorly on ball Cuse wins that uh, we get into the the midfield battle, and obviously we, we had a good feeling Cuse could win that midfield battle, although Virginia's midfielders are filthy as well. Curry goes three and four. They, they inverted Curry a great deal in this game. They said that in the tape they had seen that there was a chance to exploit Virginia at X, dodging middies from behind, dodging from behind in general. So they decide, hey, our best dodgers are our midfielders. Let's put them behind. And we saw Seabold dodge from behind quite a bit. He had a couple of nice goals. Curry goes three and four. Dordovic goes for three goals. Tromboli for two goals. The Syracuse midfielders played really well across all lines, though. The, the second line got a lot of burn, and they played well. And I've been critical of how often that second line has been playing, but hey, it worked out. Dox Aitken for UVA, scoreless. Connor Schellenberger, two goals and a helper. Uh, Bertrand, two goals. It was hard to tell who's running attack in midfield at times, but you know those th that was pretty much their first midfield line. Cuse wins that. At the end of the day, Cuse murked the Cavs. However, and it's a big however that I throw out here now, if they played tomorrow, UVA absolutely could return the favor, and they're going to have to play Virginia again April 24th in Charlottesville. I imagine we're going to see this game line up much better with the historical, like going into this game, the record between the two teams was 18 and 18, split 50-50. The goals for were, the score in terms of the the matchup was 466 to 466. It literally doesn't get any closer than that. So I do not expect to see a repeat out of Syracuse where they're going to beat Virginia down again, but that it could not have been a better outcome for Cuse fans, for the team, for me personally, as you see me rocking my hoodie here, all happy. So a hell of a game by Cuse. And, you know, now they got to rinse and repeat here and do it again next week. The next game I want to talk about. I wanted to spend more time talking about that, obviously, but we have a boatload of games to get through. Rutgers and Ohio State playing at Ohio State at the shoe. I expected this to be a dogfight, and I'm a big fan of Rutgers' offensive flow. They dodge, they spin the ball, dodge, bump, dodge. They keep the pressure on the defense through a full possession across the board. They, they've looked really good offensively. They put the hurt on Ohio State, 22-12. to 12. I'm going to wear out this they put the hurt on thing today. Things we learned about Rutgers that we kind of thought we knew from their first game, but now it's just confirmed is that Kirst is a beast on attack, had two goals early for Rutgers. He's opportunistic. He's sneaky with trying to get quick shots off if he thinks the defense of the goalie isn't ready. He can handle, handle all aspects of generating offense, dodge, feed, score. Kids playing right now like a Twarton finalist. He's going to be key in Rutgers' run to try to win themselves the big or just be in the hunt for the big. Jonathan Dugenio, he hung with Justin Inacio all day. So Ohio State, they get Inacio back, and Dugenio goes 17 of 34, 50% against Inacio, who was 18 of 36, also 
50%. Rutgers won 20 of 38 faceoffs on the day, which, which played huge in that final score as Inacio normally wins more then he loses. Inacio's a really good faceoff man. That was one of the keys to the game was that if Inacio got back, Rutgers just had to try to win draws and keep that even, and they did that. Evan Wall, Rutgers LSM, he had a big day. Four cause turnovers, six ground balls. Rutgers defense played well overall, actually forcing 11 of Ohio State. Ohio State had a bunch of turnovers, but 11 of those turnovers were forced by Rutgers, not just throwaways, but actually, you know, taking your candy, you know, lifting on a stick and making a ball go out of bounds. It was an, an excellent effort across the board out of Rutgers. Colin Kirst won the goalie battle with 10 saves versus 10 goals. Skylar Walland looking like he took an absolute pounding, the, the young kid in cage for Ohio State, nine saves versus 20 goals. So poor kid. Rutgers stats, though, on the day, Kirst had four goals. Adam Charlambides, five goals and a helper. Uh, Kieran Mullins, two goals and four helpers. Knobloch, that young kid, number 27 for Rutgers, he went four and one. So Rutgers put up a really good showing. Ohio State, Griffin Hughes, he looked really good. Five goals. Myers was two and three. And Trey LeClaire had three goals. But Ohio State just looked lost in this game. Rutgers was, they just played quick, fast. And Ohio State never had the ability to answer. I mean, it, it, this is a really good Rutgers lacrosse team. And right now, the way they're playing, I mean, they're right just one notch below Maryland, I think, for second place in the big. Now, Maryland, you know, they had the big win over Penn State. And actually, I didn't write this up because it was Friday. We talked about it a little bit in yesterday's live stream. So I'm not even going to talk about Maryland today, sadly, except that they played really well against Penn State. They they beat them up. They scored goals. Uh Bernhardt looked incredible across the board. Was now Skis Maltz. All of those guys did. Makar did a really good job guarding. I forget who number seven is for Penn State offhand, but he did a great job. So uh, Rutgers is right below Maryland here. There, I talked about Maryland a little bit today too. Next game I want to talk about. Air Force at Duke. And this is normally one of those trap games for Duke. And Duke has lost this game in the past. Not today. Duke, they continue to spread out the scoring. The first five Duke goals were scored by five different goal scorers, and three of them were assisted. That's all good signs for Duke overall. Duke offensively starting to figure out their own flow, and that looks good. Very unselfish, not forcing it to Sowers. I felt like it looked like they were forcing it to Sowers a little bit early early on in the season. They're not doing that now. Everyone's getting touches. Uh, but Sowers now is looking totally comfortable within the flow of this offense, and that's going to be rough uh, for other teams. That's what we expected Duke to look like, actually. Uh, the backbreaker. Backbreaker in this game. Air Force got a three-minute non-releasable stick penalty, and Robertson scored twice over the first two-thirds of that penalty. That hurt Air Force badly. Montgomery, he looked great today. He looks a little bit trimmer. It looks like he might have slimmed down a little bit and just continued being jacked, but maybe a little quicker in his feet. But Montgomery, he looked good. He had a really simple bang back to Robertson on that first goal in that three-minute man-up sequence that just shows his evolution as a player, shows that he gets it. He understands how this offense is supposed to work. What I really like is you're seeing uh, players all over the Duke offense pointing all over, including Montgomery, Robertson, Sowers. These guys are, are directing traffic. You're seeing the, the veterans on this Duke team now start to take charge of the offense. So that's going to be trouble for the ACC. Mike Sowers, three goals, five helpers. Robertson was seven and three. Montgomery, two and two. Adler had five saves, five saves versus only six goals against. And Nasso at the faceoff dot won 16 of 26 draws. That was going to be key. That's going to be key for Duke is can they win faceoffs with all the other ACC teams? And Nasso has played really well for them so far. Another game. 
we need to talk about Johns Hopkins at Michigan. And this was kind of the basement of the big, and we wanted to see who's going to be the, the, the team that's not going to take last in the Big Ten. I assume Michigan was going to take last in the Big Ten, and that's what I was calling for, but Hopkins kind of proved that that's probably going to be the case. Joey Epstein started great in this game. He had four goals off four shots. I think at one point he had five goals off five shots. Ends up with six goals off eight, eight shots before the end of the game. So he's climbing back. Number 32 is climbing back into his kind of freshman year form. Had that sophomore season where he was a bit hobbled. The second half was a story for Hopkins. They kept battling, fought through not playing great over the course of the first half. It was a close game at halftime, and then they found their offensive and defensive rhythm en route to the big win. Epstein, as I said, six goals off eight shots. D. Simone, the midfield to attack convert, he put up two goals and four helpers. So that is really working well for Hopkins in terms of offensive generation. They needed a playmaker down there, and D. Simone is quick, twitchy quick. And he's helped them a lot. Kersan was good enough in goal. Six saves, seven goals against. He's the Ohio State transfer that Hopkins is hoping is their answer in cage. For Michigan, bad sign for them. Zawada was held to just two assists, and Bohm had two goals and a helper. So Michigan does look like they're going to be in the basement of the Big Ten, but they still get a lot of chances to put up some good wins. So, you know, you never want to count people out, but Hopkins, that's a big one for them. Looks like second half of that game they played well, all you know, through that whole second half, and they want to carry that on. Another one, High Point and North Carolina. And someone posed the question in Saturday morning's pregame live stream, does this being their third time seeing each other help the Blue Blood more or the underdog more? And I said the Blue Blood for the simple reason that the Blue Blood – you know, they get to see this team now and they don't normally wouldn't adjust, but now it's like, ah, eh, third time seeing them. Let's adjust a little bit. Let's maybe play around with trying to really beat up on Asher Nolting because we're going to have to do that against teams like uh, Duke where they have uh, Sowers and, and UVA where they've got more down on attack. And I was right. It proved correct as UNC was just too good overall. 27 to 12 beat down over High Point. High Point kept it close over the course of the first quarter, but the second quarter proved to be their weakness. Again, the second time in a row, they they hung tough the first time they played in the first quarter, let UNC get a big lead in the second before battling back, and that second quarter broke their backs. They gave up three quick goals uh, right out right at the start of the, of the second quarter that helped UNC extend the lead, and from there, they just kept putting it on them, putting it on them over and over. One thing that's that I noticed as I watch UNC, and I think I've said this before, they've got the best shooters in the country as a team. The amount of goals they score from outside, from you know beyond eight to ten feet, like twelve foot, thirteen foot, fifteen foot goals, it's incredible. Both their attack and their mids, they can all spot shoot, step down, shoot on the run. They're very versatile in how they shoot, and they're very good at shooting the rock hard, fast, accurately do a good job. And that was one of the things they wanted to work on between these two meetings was they didn't shoot the ball all that well consistently throughout that first meeting with High Point, and they did shoot really well in this game here. So I think going forward, though, that's the key for ACC teams as they play UNC. Cover them, press them like Richmond did on the perimeter, and that's the key to keeping UNC under 20 goals is go out and pressure everybody all over the place. Don't let these step-down shooters at midfield get time and room, and you could end up being in the game. Gray was four and three. Solomon was four and three. He played really well after having a slow, uh, you know, a, a quiet game in their last game. Nolting three assists, no goals in this one. That's bad for him. Rogers continues to look good with three goals and a helper. He's the D three transfer. I think he's number seventy seven. But uh, Nolting even worse had eight turnovers, so he didn't score and he had eight turnovers, so that hurt High Point in that game. 
Robert Morris, Notre Dame. We get to see Notre Dame for the first time, and here they're playing a solid team in Robert Morris that has already played some really tough ACC competition and hung well. I expected Notre Dame to win this game, but I didn't expect them to absolutely kick Robert Morris's Dixon, which is what they did. It was only close for a very short period of time. Notre Dame defense was as good as advertised overall. They looked good. They gave up very little overall in the first half. Even when the defense gave up shots, though, Liam Entman, he's the one who got to start in cage for Notre Dame. He had 10 saves versus five goals, so he looked really good. And then Schmidt got some mop-up duty. He played last year. They, I think Schmidt and Entman have both played on and off over the last year or two. Schmidt got some uh, mop-up duty, put up four saves versus just two goals. So there's a lot of depth in cage even for Notre Dame. I keep talking about Notre Dame adding depth via transfer and that they just have a very deep quality roster overall. That seems to be the case. Gallagher and company did well dominating the faceoffs early in this game, contributing to that large first half margin. That continued in the second half as Gallagher goes 13 of 15 from the draws. And Charles Leonard, last year's guy, he goes 9 of 12. So Notre Dame, they played both faceoff guys. Both faceoff guys won well and uh, did well. And that's a big deal for them because you have two faceoff guys that are now dominating. You've got Leonard, who's kind of got the fire lit under his ass right now, and he's got to play well because Gallagher, one of the best faceoff guys in the country, rolls in. But I found that interesting that they let them split time. Didn't see how much of the, of the second half uh, Leonard took in terms of his draw, so I don't know if they went with Gallagher hard in the beginning. I did watch the game, but just didn't pay that close attention to that side of it. But both faceoff men dominated for Notre Dame. And that probably contributed greatly to this margin as well when you dominate the, the face-off dot like that. A theme throughout this game was Notre Dame played a lot of guys. They played multiple midfield lines. They played them consistently. They played three face-off guys. They played two full lines of midfielders, as I said. They played two goalies. So the theme seems to be let's develop this talent uh, and, and get these guys reps and see what we got. Uh, now that we've seen Notre Dame play, and after seeing what Cuse did to Virginia, this is still anyone's conference. I mean, to, to pretend that Notre Dame, as people have been saying, is going to finish last in the in the ACC, we don't know how this is going to shake out. And Notre Dame kind of said to the ACC, "Hey, we may be we may be the late starters here, but we are legit as hell." Pat Cavanaugh two and seven in this game. Quinn McCann looked good three and one. Jack Boyce two and one. Westland and Dobson one and two. Will York the Bucknell transfer two goals. Libka the Q's transfer a goal. Got a lot of guys in. Got a lot of looks at guys, and they all played a decent game for Notre Dame. St. John's and Georgetown. And what more is there to say about this one other than Georgetown is really good, not just on defense. The Hoyas are good all over the field. They held their second consecutive opponent to just a single goal. Over their first two games, they've outscored their foes 35-2, to which is bonkers. Jake Carraway, he played excellent. A pedestrian three goals and three helpers for him. Saturday versus St. John's, he went eight and one, so six points. Pretty much a great game, but for him, I'm I'm expecting to see more of this. Uh, you know, seven, eight, nine point outputs from Caraway. Hell of a player. He has eleven goals, four assists, and fifteen points over his first two games here now. Colgate transfer, Nikki Pekovic. I think he was a Colgate transfer. I always forget that, though. He puts up four goals in a dish. Graham Bundy Jr., three and a, three goals and a helper. Georgetown has numerous weapons on offense. A big part of repeating that one goal, a big part of repeating only giving up that single goal was Owen Mc McElroy and Cage. He, only got, he barely got tested in their last game against Villanova. I think he had six saves versus that one goal. He ends up having to put up 10 saves on this day against that one goal. When the other team puts up 11 shots on your keeper and he saves all but one of them, you really like the keeper that you have between the pipes right there. That's a very good, very good uh, save percentage that he's got going. 
So right now, what's he got? 16 saves versus two goals against. That's not too bad. Gibson Smith didn't play. I didn't see why, but he didn't play. And for th- for them to hold hold uh, St. John's to just a single goal, even without Gibson Smith, who I'd say is their best defender, that's impressive as well. So Georgetown is really good. I'm talking top five good with these two wins right here. I almost think that you're going to have to see them pop into that five spot, four spot, even because you you – you hold two teams to just one goal on defense, and you beat them up offensively. That is a hell of a job out of them. Stony Brook and Hofstra, they do the battle on Long Island. It's the uh, Seth Tierney show again. When I turned the game on, Stony Brook was winning, and within a few minutes, the game was tied before Long Hofstra had the lead. Tierney is a monster. I showed his stat line as eight goals and four assists. I saw an inside lacrosse. Maybe they were saying he only had three. Either way, 11 points. For two games now, he has 11 points in his first game. Slower game, I think he was only 1-1 one one last week, and now he has another 11- or 12-point game here this week. He assisted two late in the third, goals that got Hofstra back to within a goal heading into the fourth. They were down by three. He assists two goals heading into the third quarter. They're only down by one. He scored within the first minute of the fourth to tie the game and then scored again shortly after giving Hofstra a two-goal lead in this game. Number 13 dropped four goals over the fourth quarter as he helped to make sure Hofstra never let Stony Brook back in it again after they took that lead. Dylan Palinetti was good for five goals and three assists for Stony Brook in the loss. He's having a nice start to uh, his season. 12 goals, five assists over Stony Brook's first three games. But Hofstra, they they get into the win column here with a huge win over Stony Brook because Stony Brook is a hell of a team. And now you got Ryan Tierney here. He's going to be talked about for uh, the Twarton. He'll definitely be on the watch list and has been, but you play like this consistently and you put up points like this in close games, you're going to get considered for, uh, for being an actual finalist. Utah Loyola, no overachieving for Utah on this day in Maryland as Loyola rolled. The Utes hung early, but Loyola kept it coming. Aiden Olmstead in the pregame live stream, I talked about how I wanted to see him go to the rack more. He answered five goals and three helpers. Evan James, I think he's number 32 for Loyola. Nice looking player, five and one. Cam Wires and Matt Hughes combined for seven ground balls and four caused turnovers on the defensive end for Loyola. Schaefer went 50% between the pipes, so he looked good. Schaefer's a good goalie. He, as long as he can hang in that 50%, 60% range on any given day and be consistent, then Loyola's going to, for the most part, be in the games they play because they are talented all over the field. Utah, Zach Johns had his worst game to date. He is a very good goalie, though, so don't count him out in the future. Seven saves versus 13 goals before he got relieved. Tyler Bradbury, there, I believe, isn't Bradbury a freshman mid? I always forget. Tyler Bradbury, though, three assists. And Cole Brams, their faceoff guy who's been playing well for Utah, he didn't have uh, Savio to face, so he did well 16-27, but in the end it didn't matter. And I don't know why Savio didn't play. We're going to have to look into that and see if he plays next week because Loyola needs Savio down the stretch. St. Joe's at Army. 5-13. to Army beat St. Joe's. They handle them pretty well. Nick turned to Aberdeen, continues to be a problem for opposing teams. They only connected once in this game, but I think that just Aberdeen has played really well. I keep calling them Aberdeen, and in my notes, that's what I wrote, and I'm not sure now offhand if it's Aberdeen or Aberforth the fifth or some crap like that. But anyway, that that kid, Aber something, I think he's number 16. He looks good for Army. Army rolled St. Joe's in this one, taking a 9-1 lead into the half and then never looked back after that. Brendan Nick turn once again, another Tewartan, uh, uh, another Tewartan candidate. The way he's playing, though, he just keeps putting up seven points, seven points. He goes four and three 
in this game, and he's got 10 goals and nine helpers over their first three games. And then Schupler was pretty solid in cage, giving up uh, just, what was it, five goals versus his 10 saves. And for St. Joe's, Zach Cole, he won 16 to 22 draws for St. Joe's, but alas, it just didn't matter because Army ends up rolling. So let's go through the scoreboard and talk about some other ones. UMBC, they were losing to Mount St. Mary's most of that game. They end up climbing back and winning that one. And uh, Brandon Galloway goes for three goals. Nick Dupas goes for one. He goes one and one. CJ Stoll for Mount St. Mary's. He goes for two. Justin White goes for two. But UMBC comes back and they end up scoring, uh, winning that game by a goal after it was pretty much ruled by Mount St. Mary's right through to the end. I think UMBC at one point had to score, like had to rattle off like four goals in a row, which would make sense, you know. Lehigh beat up on New Jersey Tech. We don't really talk about that. Bryant edged out Vermont 15 to 12. Villanova, battle of uh, some Big East teams. Villanova gets a win over Marquette 16 to 14. So that was big for Villanova to try to get in the win column after getting beat down by Georgetown the week before. Merrimack 16 8 over UMass Lowell. What else have we not talked about? LIU beat up Wagner 19 8. Albany. I didn't talk about that. Albany. No Day Hogan Nanakoke. Albany's playing Colgate here in an upstate New York battle. Jacob Patterson, he's their primarily primary dodger for Albany. Patterson is. I dare say he may he may be their best player overall because he can do everything. Feed, dodge, score. He goes four and four in this win. Camden Hay, I believe he's the young kid that started for Day Hogan Nanakoke. He goes for two goals, four helpers on the day. He looked good. He had a really nice uh behind the back. Was it like a crossbody behind the back? Can't remember, but in the end, Michael, I'm not even going to say that guy's name for Colgate here. So yeah, Albany gets that win over Colgate in their first game of the year. So I'm hopefully going to be able to try to catch that Albany game against BU uh, down here. Uh, maybe they play in Albany, so maybe I won't be able to do that. Let's see. What else did I miss? Uh, Boston U beat up on Division Two Pace. We talked about Hofstra. Uh, Holy Cross gets their first win of the year in their first game of the year. 11-10 over Sacred Heart. Denver beat up Providence 23-10. Let's see what happened in that one because I didn't even check that one at all here yet. Jackson Morrill has his has a really big game, 4-3. and three. Alex Simmons, 3-4 and four for Denver. Jack, Jungle Jack Hanna, 3-2 and two for Denver. Let's see here. Ethan Walker is not in the box score, so I'm wondering if Walker didn't. Oh, no, Ethan Walker is in the box score, 1-1. One one. Yeah, so they put it on Providence pretty badly, Denver does. And is that, we're almost done here. Providence and, or no, Towson and Richmond. And Towson was winning this game most of the game, or a good chunk of the game, and Richmond comes back and wins by a goal. They needed that win, so Richmond just plays a brutal schedule to start, and uh, I think they were probably hoping to win this game by three or four goals here, but a win is a win is a win, so who cares? So that is the full slate of Division One games. Let's dive a little bit here into some Division Two scores. What did we have on Saturday? We had a boatload of Division II games here. I'm just trying to see if anything catches my eye. North Greenville beats Catawba 13-10. Belmont Abbey gets back in the win column again. They had a really nice early season upset, and then they got spanked, so it's good to see them win again. Belmont Abbey won 12-8. And then we had some canceled things like that. We'll talk more about some D2 and D3 games in Wednesday's show. But that's it for this one here. i got to get this cut up and get this out to you guys. But hell yeah. Syracuse gets it, you know, you get beat up by Army. Everyone's, you know, crying, saying, ah, Desco needs to be fired and we stink. I was not doing those things, but I was afraid, oh man, maybe we stink. And uh, I say we because I'm obviously a member of the team. They they admit that and they accept it. I'm a, I'm an integral part of the Syracuse 
lacrosse landscape here, obviously, because I like to wear their hoodies on my show and talk about them all the time like I'm a big homer. But hell of a job by Cuse, man. That was awesome. So I'm going to get the hell out of here. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. As always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, go to laxfactor.com. You can get yourself some swag. If you like to listen to the audio version of the podcast, you can go to anchor.fm forward slash laxfactor. You can even go there and leave us an audio message that will run on Wednesday's show. Ask us questions, chirp us, whatever. And uh, But we, you can get the podcast anywhere where you find podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, you name it, it's there. So that is it. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I will be back Wednesday for our just random Let's Talk Lacrosse show. More things about what we've learned from the teams that we saw play this weekend and all of that. That show comes out Wednesday morning. And then we'll be back next week, Saturday morning, 10 a.m. for the pregame live stream where we talk about all the games that are going to be on that day. So that's it. Hoost is out. 